What is going on, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Glad to be with you on game week. Yes, the bye week done. Although I will say, I wouldn't mind if the Texans had another bye week in January. Wouldn't mind it. But that's getting way ahead of ourselves, so I'm not going to do that. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter. And so glad you are with me this evening. We got a jam-packed show, as always, on a Wednesday. On Wednesday means we go behind enemy sidelines with DPC. This week it is Jake Kring Schreifels of Redskins.com. Our buddy Russell Baxter is going to join us. The Washington Redskins play-by-play voice is Larry Michael. So we will have our Men Behind the Mic segment as Larry joined Mark earlier today. Mark's going to stay with me for a little bit and talk. And I threw this trivia question at him. I wasn't sure when I actually asked the question if I knew the answer, but I figured it out as we were talking. When was the last time a first-place Texans team played a first-place opponent this late in the year? What's the last time it happened? I had it figured out. Eventually, eventually it got there. And then, of course, our broadcast partner on game day and good friend Andre Ware will join us on the show as well. But as we start the show, we start always with our hot reads, and they are brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. And when we are game week Wednesday, as Mark always talks about, that means that, well, the particulars are talking at the podium. And Bill O'Brien was at the podium today, and he talked about not celebrating 6-3. and three. This is a very focused group. You know, even the younger players seem to be – uh, mature guys, you know, guys that understand that, like, okay, um, you know, this is a big, big challenge. Washington, you know, we're not, we haven't really done anything yet. We've done a good job of digging ourselves out of a hole, but what have we, what have we actually done? Like, we're six and three, great, you know, and now it's on to the basically the second half of the season, and we've got a big challenge here versus a first place team in the Washington Redskins, first place in the NFC East. So I think our guys realize that. They're, they're, they're a very focused group. And I think guys are ready to measure up against the Redskins. The Texans have not fared well against NFC teams on the road. But Bill O'Brien said their quarterback, Sean Watson, it's a big stage on Sunday, but he doesn't shy away from that big stage. National championship games, uh, playoff games, you know, ACC championship games. He's been in a lot of big moments. Uh, you know, obviously the difference is this is the, the NFL, but, uh, you know, I, I think there's something to be said for that, no doubt. And that was part of, you know, one of the things that we really looked at uh, relative to, to drafting him. Playing in big games. He's been there. I thought about this. His freshman year, he tore his ACL against South Carolina, beat South Carolina, went had the surgery, came back his sophomore year, then won the ACC championship, beat Baker Mayfield in the Orange Bowl in the semifinal, and had one of the games – one of the best games any quarterback's ever had against Alabama in the loss that year. Then in his junior year, won ACC championship again, won the semifinal playoff game in the Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State, blanked them 31-0, and then beat Alabama in his last game. Yeah, Deshaun is definitely, he's definitely done some things. There's no doubt. Now, a guy that I I love in his building, Jadeveon Clowney is one of the most fascinating players to watch so powerful so explosive every asset you want a football player but Bill O'Brien said look there's something else that you got to notice about JD as well JD's always had great instincts you know so he he's always understood he's a very smart player you know he understands when to uh, take chances when to take risks and I think in the past maybe he did that you know a little bit too much every now and then but lately 
I think he's done a really good job of knowing, like, hey, this is a good time for me to just basically play good fundamental football. And when he does that, he's very good, just as good as he is when he, you know, when he loops inside and makes a big play. So um, I think he's really done a good job of improving in that area. I thought it was fascinating all week. Everybody has put up the the mic'd up of Quentin Nelson knocking Barry Church a safety, just knocking him on his backside. And look, I told you all about Quentin Nelson. I, I'm, you know, I'm a big fan. But I'm like, did you see what Clowney did to Nelson? Come on, man. Clowney's Clowney's a different beast. There's no doubt about that. JJ Watt went to the podium today, and of course, JJ's coming off his own injuries. Adrian Peterson's come off some other injuries as well. And J.J. said he's happy to see Adrian back at full strength and able to come back from his injuries. He's obviously one of the great running backs of the game. I mean, um, what he's been able to do in his career. Um, but then to be able to come back the way that he has and have the type of season he's having, um, obviously I, I know how difficult it is from firsthand experience to come back from injuries. So I'm extremely impressed by what he's been able to do. I have a ton of respect for his game, and um, it's always a – a good challenge to play against them, and I enjoy the competition. Um, and it's it's always going to it's going to be a good challenge for us. It certainly is going to be that. There's no doubt about that. No question. Now, earlier last week during the bye week, we had the assistant coaches in here for radio, and Anthony Weaver said that JJ Watt was a well, he was a dream to coach. So JJ had to say about Weaver. I think he's sucking up. I think he's a liar. <laughs> Uh, I think he's uh, he's a great guy. I mean, I, I love playing uh, for Weave. Like I've said all uh, my career, I've been fortunate. You know, I had Wade Phillips. I have uh, Rack. I have Bill Kohler. I have Weave. I, mean, I have some great coaches to play for, and I'm very lucky uh, and thankful for that. And I've had some great teammates around me, too. So it's all about the people around you that make the game enjoyable, that make the game fun, and um, I'm definitely having a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of people are having fun this year. That We looked up the other day and thought, man, this is week 11? Wow, it's crazy. There's no – it's just gone so, so fast. J.J. was asked a lot at today's press conference about comeback player of the year, defensive player of the year, all those kind of things. And J.J. said, whoa, 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 just look, one game at a time. Yeah, you guys have a lot of, like, long-term questions today. It's we, – we, we have to win a game. We have to win against the Redskins to even keep conversations like that alive. So – I think that's part of the reason this team is doing what they're doing and, and we've had the opportunity to be in this situation is because we've taken it one week at a time and nobody's looking that far ahead. Um, because you start to look that far ahead, you start to think about things like that, that's when you uh, you get blindsided. No doubt. You get beat. No question about it. All right, Sean Watson went to the podium today. Let's hear what Four had to say. He was asked today about Demarius Thomas. Those two together for the first time. First game, three catches. All happened early in the game. All big catches, all led to scores. And Deshaun said, hey, we're building the chemistry. It's going to be fine. We've known each other before. So, you know, as far as, you know, you know, hanging out and, and just talking ball, we've done that before. And then now, you know, being on the same team and having more time, especially the past, you know, by week of, you know, getting together and getting on the same page has been good. It has been good, no doubt. Now, over the offseason, unfortunately, J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson, they – they had to get they had to get close. I mean, they're rehabbing together. Guys rehabbing together, they're here in a building a lot together. And he said he and Water now BFFs. We're together all the time, you know, working out, training, rehabbing, coming in at the same time, leaving at the same time, eating lunch at the same time, all those things. So I mean, just becoming, you know, you know, best friends and uh, you know, just seeing him, you know, watching him, you know, asking questions, but also just kinda of observing his, you know, preparation, his work. 
Um, you know, he's been through injuries before, but he's also been, uh, you know, as healthy as he can and, and being at the top of his game like he is now. And I just kind of watch him, you know, how he go about his business, you know, very, very detailed in everything he do. Um, take every rep, every second um, of the day, you know, and he maximized that, that opportunity. And so, you know, for me, you know, I always, I always had that mindset, but, you know, even taking it to another level and just his energy and, and what he really emphasized in, in his work is, is top notch. Now, a guy that is as intriguing as any other Texan also spoke with the media today. That would be Deontay Foreman. Now, here's – let me make sure that we're clear on this. Deontay Foreman has not been taken off PUP, okay? Not been taken off PUP. If he were taken off the PUP list, that would indicate he's on the 53-man roster. He's not there yet, but he can – practice. They're in that 21-day window that we have been talking about for a while. So the Texans have 21 days to determine whether Deontay is going to be activated off of PUP or if he goes on season-ending IR. So Deontay talked in the locker room today, was asked a number of questions, obviously the media waiting to talk to him, and he wanted to, he wanted to show everybody that he's ready and that he can get on this roster and help this team in 2018. At the end of the day, it's what matter the most, seeing what kind of shape I'm in and, you know, just trying to get back out there. Like I said, put my best foot forward. Well, we'd love to see Deontay. There's no doubt. He said last year, eh, it doesn't re- really mean a whole lot. I got to prove myself this year. Coming off this injury, what can I prove? Last year was last year. I got to, you know, prove myself again this year. I mean, I haven't played in over a year, so I know it's a lot they want to see from me. It's good to see 27 out of practice, but again, he's not been taken off the pup, but he has entered that 21-day window for the Texans to make a decision. We're good about that, right? Everybody's good. Everybody's good. We're all set. So he's out there practicing, can't practice. He could play as early as Sunday. He could, after the end of 21 days, he could practice for three weeks, and then the Texans would say, I don't know that he's ready. It could be anywhere in between. Might not be ready this week, but he could be ready the following week. There's a lot still to be determined about Deontay Foreman, and a lot is going to be determined at practice over the next few days, weeks, etc. So we're good. Not off pup, but in the 21-day window to make a decision. So that's good stuff. All right, let's go to our next hot read. And that, my friends, is always the injury report. Coming off a of bye week, you think, okay, everything's good, and there, it's relatively good. No DNPs today at practice. But there were some limited participants. Aaron Colvin, Kiki QT, Zach Cunningham, Duke Edge 4, Andre Howe, DeAndre Hopkins, Jonathan Joseph. Those guys we have all talked about during the break. Like, are they going to be back? Are they going to be back? And some of those I would imagine will be back. I think DeAndre just ends up on there because he's got so many things that he's dealing with at that particular moment and this particular moment. So he's on there as well. Now, there may be a couple names on there that, they did do a little bit of practice, Zach Cunningham being one that maybe we don't see. But good to see that everybody at least participated in practice. And again, this is not something that Deontay Foreman is going to show up on because he's not on the 53-man roster at this point. Washington, banged up. DNPs, Jameson Crowder, Quentin Dunbar, Dustin Hopkins, kicker. Safety, Monte Nicholson, running back Chris Thompson, and Trent Williams, the thumb. They expect Williams it's going to be another week or two. Limited participants, oh boy. Here's where it gets dicey for them. Morgan Moses with the knee, and then Ty Inseki, the other starting tackle, with an ankle. Deron Payne, Adrian Peterson, they were limited participants. So Washington banged up a little bit, especially on the 
the offensive line, and that can be a definite issue in this one, no question about it. All right, those are your hot reads brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes, continue 15% or more on car insurance. Coming up, let's go behind enemy sidelines with our good friend DP Sitter. This week, it's Jake Kring Schreifels of Redskins.com next on Texans All Access. Calling all Houston area teachers. Do you want to bring a little Texas football to your classroom? Of course you do. So sign up for Toro's Matros, presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Matros, the video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Matros to learn more. And then when they grow up, they can become writers and media gurus like our own D.P. Sidhu. And she, each week, goes behind enemy sidelines to talk with a writer, analyst, talking head from the other side, if you will. And this week, it is Jake Kring Schreifels of Redskins.com to give us his thoughts on the 6-3 and Washington team coming off a 16-3 win over Tampa Bay. Now let's talk about Sunday's matchup. It's a rather exciting one. Both teams at 6-3 and in Washington appeared to bounce back at Tampa Bay with that win after their loss to Atlanta. What's sort of the state of things in Washington right now with that team? Is it about where everyone expected to be. A lot of changes in the offseason happened, but where are they now relative to how the season has gone? You know, I think it's funny because a lot of people, if you took the temperature right now of the fan base, it, it doesn't feel that great for a 6-3 and first-place team in the NFC East. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the Redskins have won games in not exactly exciting fashion. They've been able to squeak out a lot of games at the last minute um, a lot of big fourth quarter stands and last drive stands. And, and when you look at last last week's game against Tampa Bay, they give up 501 yards, but they hold the Bucks to three points. And so it's just a very strange way to win games when you feel like you should be possibly losing some of these games, but you end up winning. So I think right now a lot of fans are excited. Look, they're in first place. This is a team that um, has a lot of good parts to it that, that still feels like it can improve in a lot of areas. And, Alex Smith hasn't been turning the ball over. There's a lot of different ways that they've been winning games. It just hasn't been the way that a lot of people probably want them to. So I think overall, there's a lot of improvement that I think both the coaching staff and players still feel there is to be made. I saw some of the comments about the fans there at FedEx Field and and not being really excited. What, What are you expecting for Sunday's game with the Texans? You know, I have a feeling that they're going to come out a little bit stronger this game. I think it does kind of uh, impact you when, when you hear players discussing the fans. And, and I, I think for their perspective, they want to show out for these players too. I think they realize they've got a first-place team, as I mentioned. And so when there is some frustration in that you hear, I think it probably will energize them a little bit more. I don't, I don't think fans are uh, you know, too disillusioned by the fact that, yeah, the Redskins haven't had a huge winning culture for the last 20 years. And so naturally, I think it's just frustrating when you know, players go out there and they don't necessarily feel the same kind of support that they expect. But I, I do think that this will be a more raucous environment. And it has really been this season. I would say that Cowboys game a couple weeks ago was a really great environment at FedEx Field. And 
even um, even the last game too. I, I just feel like they're they're starting to make improvements, and so I, I do think it'll be a little bit more energized than usual. Well, one big playmaker that everyone's talking about, even here in Houston, the the Texans had practice on Monday, is Adrian Peterson. He signed this offseason. He's really become a weapon in that offense. 672 yards rushing, four rushing touchdowns, plus 168 yards receiving and a touchdown there. He's already surpassed his numbers if you even combine the past two seasons. Uh, and he's he looks like he's on pace for 1,000 yards rushing. What does Adrian Peterson say is the reason for his success this year and this many years in the league? You know, I, I feel like a lot of people started to ask him early on about the doubters and the chip on his shoulder. And I think that certainly has played a part into – really just rebranding who he was. I think last year was just two situations that didn't really fit him as a runner. And, you know, he started to get a little bit of life with the Arizona Cardinals last year, but, you know, then he had the injury and it just, it never really worked out for him. Never felt like he was home. I think first and foremost, he comes to a team that he's already pretty familiar with. He's been practicing with the offensive alignment for the Redskins the last couple uh, off seasons at his athletic training facility in Houston. And that's where his good friend and uh, teammate right now, Trent Williams, who actually is injured, but you know, they, they've, they've been close friends ever since their Oklahoma days. I think it just from the start when he worked out here to when he joined this team, it felt a lot more comfortable for him. And I think the, the coaching staff's done a really nice job of really tailoring this run game to his strengths. And, and a lot of that has been, you know, some changes for him too. He's been doing a lot more out of the shotgun with Alex Smith beside him. That's not something that he normally did with Minnesota. And he's starting to get a little bit more of a handle on that, but you know, there, there's been some changes obviously, and we'll get to that on the offensive line over the last week or two that has kind of thrown a little bit of a wrench into how the Redskins are going to attack this run game. But I think overall, I mean, he, he's still in just peak physical shape. I mean, if you ask anybody around the league and they look at him and they, they look at his workout, even that he had with the Redskins, I think people just really are, are marveling at what he's able to do at his age right now. And he really, he plans to keep playing for, I think he said recently, five years. So he wants to keep going as long as he possibly can. And, and I mean, certainly this season, it doesn't look like he's going to be stopped anytime soon. Well, good for him. That'd make him about 38 years old by the time he retires. I'd like to <laughs> see would. that myself. It would. I definitely want to get to the O-line, but first let's talk about Alex Smith. You mentioned him. He's having a, a pretty good season for Washington, not putting up always flashy numbers, but he's only thrown three interceptions this year. It seems to protect the ball well. What's been the key to his success in that system, and, and how much did they have to alter that offense to sort of fit Alex Smith? Yeah, I think it's been um, a bit of a, a different expectation, I think, for Redskins fans in general. You look at the way the offense has, has functioned the last few years under Kirk Cousins, and it, I mean, it really did rely on a lot of play action, a lot of big plays down the field. That just hasn't really been the case so far for this team. And part of that is, you know, the playmakers haven't uh, been available for a lot of this season, too. Paul Richardson just went on injured reserve a couple weeks ago with a shoulder. He had never really been the same, even going into training camp. Jameson Crowder has been out for five weeks now with an ankle injury. They, he, Alex Smith is just, he hasn't really had a lot of opportunities to, to really get on a great rapport with this receiving group. And so that that's kind of thrown a wrench into some of their plans. But I, I think, you know, he's still showing that he, he's the quarterback they thought he was. I mean, there's a very small, as you mentioned, a very small turnover margin. There, there's there's a lot of smart decision-making, and that really goes into a lot of these victories is the turnover battles, both on defense and then with, with him protecting the football. A lot of the big issues 
with Kirk Cousins was fumbles too, and he hasn't fumbled this season. So that's a big part of this is how, how can he keep this offensive going with Adrian Peterson and, and make sure everything is just manageable. And, you know, he has that game manager title that a lot of people put on him and he's kind of lived up to that in some ways this year. I think he's still really trying to push the envelope and you saw a little bit in the Bucks game. He had some opportunities to throw the ball downfield, missed one big one to tight end Vernon Davis, but there are, some more things working in his favor. He's gotten some uh, bigger rapports with Maurice Harris and some of these guys that Michael Floyd, even wide receivers that came into the fold a little bit later this season. So there is still optimism that things can get on the right track. And then of course, I haven't even mentioned tight end Jordan Reed, but he's somebody that I, I think too, the Redskins coaches believe that there's, there's just going to be a soon a game where Jordan Reed becomes what you think he's going to be. And, you know, we all know Alex Smith had so much success with Travis Kelsey last year. So that's a connection he's still working on, too. So still a lot of improvement in the second half of the season. Uh, Jake, after that loss to Atlanta, I think the big storyline from that game was all the, the season-ending injuries that Washington suffered in that game. It seems like this time of year injuries happen, but, uh, you know, that offensive line's really battered right now. You lost two guards and then lost to Atlanta and then another O-lineman in Sunday's win in Tampa. What does that offensive line look like right now, especially with some of the new players that have been added to the roster? And how much of a concern is it now moving forward? Well, uh, to answer your question, it looks very different uh, from the start of the season. Yeah, I mean, this is um, kind of felt like deja vu. Last year, the Redskins offensive line, I mean, just brutal, brutalized by injury. I mean, you look at almost everyone across the board had had struggles there um, injury-wise. And you really, this this Sunday, it's it's getting even thinner. You mentioned John Christian, the uh, uh, backup rookie tackle. He, he injured his MCL. He's going to be out for the season now. So they just continue to get thinner and thinner. They signed three offensive linemen last week and um, in, included one of them, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Cooper, left guard in on, on Tampa. Um, so there's, uh, there's a lot of plug and play going on right now. I think what you're looking for right now on Sunday, you know, left tackle Ty Inseki is going to be there. Still in for Trent Williams, who, uh, who's been battling a dislocated uh, thumb. He's, he had surgery. He still has the cast on. It's probably unlikely he will play. So they're looking at Ty Inseki. And then at left guard, Jonathan Cooper, Chase Rullier at center, Tony Bergstrom at right guard. And then over at right tackle, Morgan Moses, who did play against Tampa Bay, but even him still really battling through some injuries. He had an elbow earlier this year and now he's got the knee injury and that he was looking really stiff uh, earlier this week. So there's even question with him right now. They did sign Austin Howard as part of those three guys earlier last week. So he could potentially be the next backup to, to fill in. So it really is just a mishmash of guys right now. I think they were pretty impressed with how it all worked against Tampa, but uh, there is definitely some current concern there as the season goes forward. Yeah, and I imagine having a veteran quarterback and a veteran running back certainly helps uh, a young O-line or at least a, a new O-line that's still working to develop that chemistry. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think Adrian was pretty confident even last last week just going into the game that these guys would figure it out. Jonathan Cooper, who, who played at left guard, he you know, he, he was mentioning how Last the Sunday before, he was just on a flight going home to Arizona. I mean, football was not really on his mind too much. I know he had a couple of workouts here and there, but one week later, he's starting on the offensive line for the Redskins on a first-place team. It's just kind of a whirlwind week for him, and so I think this week maybe he'll get a little bit more settled and feel like he's a little bit more part of the team now that he's got a game under him. But, you know, he's been a veteran guy. He's played in the league for a while now, and 
So I think some of these guys, it's not like they're fresh and brand new, but you know, it does take a little bit of time to get back to the uh, swing of things. Yeah, a familiar face that Texans fans will recognize. I, I think Tony Bergstrom was here for a little bit, but even more familiar face, yeah. DJ Swearinger, uh, 2013 second-round pick. He's leading that defense with four interceptions. He's had to face a few former teams this year, too. So now he gets to face the Texans who drafted him. How has he evolved in his game? I feel like every time I see highlights from Washington's games, it's it's always Swearinger doing something or getting an interception. How much of a leader has he become on that defense, and how much has he evolved since since he got there? Well, you know, I, I'll be honest. I, I think he was a leader on this team even before he played uh, a snap in training camp. I mean, this is a, a guy that's now in his second year with Washington, and he really has, has made it a, a point to say that he finally feels at home uh, where, where he is in Washington. And I think he was funny. He mentioned now, you know, he is 2-0 and against his former teams this year, against the Cardinals and the Bucks last week. And he, he says this one against the Texans is going to be the biggest one for him. It's a big redemption game in some ways. And I think he always has been, felt, he always has felt a little spurred by what the Texans uh, did with him as, as a player. I think he never felt comfortable there playing some linebacker to start off early on in his career. And I think that's part of the reason why he's just starting to excel now. He's finally gotten the experience at safety that he's wanted over the last couple of years. And then he comes to Washington. He can play a little bit more inside the box. He has a little bit more freedom to roam around. And I think that's really been the biggest thing for him is just playing a position that he feels like he can make an impact both at the line of scrimmage and then off playing off and in, in deeper into the secondary and, you know, I, I think it certainly helps when uh, you get a guy like Haha Clinton-Dix to your team, and he's been really familiar with them, and they have great chemistry and already starting to see that last week against the Bucks. So I think he's just finally feeling like this is where he wants to be, and that usually, when it comes to that, really bodes well for a player on the field when you're mentally comfortable and, and, and feeling like everything is where it needs to be. The play is going to do much better on the field. Yeah, that big addition of HaHa Clinton Dix and that uh, Redskins defense has been forcing all these turnovers, even on Sunday, three turnovers in the final fourth quarter of the game. What's made it so opportunistic and what's made it so easy for them to force these takeaways, do you think? Well, I don't know if anything's ever easy. I mean, I, it looks easy. I, I look at, <laughs> it does. I mean, they, they, they do seem to be the most opportunistic defense right now. And, I, you know, I mentioned earlier, it's like they, they give up 500 yards to the Bucks and they only give up three points. I mean, a lot of that came in the red zone. And, you know, you look at Josh Norman, he finally started to get going. He, he got a second interception on Sunday. And, and then you look at some of the guys who have been stepping up. Quentin Dunbar has been out, but you see a guy like rookie cornerback Greg Stroman, he gets his first interception, first career one. And even guys like Ryan Anderson, Preston Smith, starting to, starting to finally get over the hump. And Ryan Anderson had that big punch out on Jaquiz Rogers and, that ball flew like 20 yards into the end zone. I think a lot of it is just, look, they, they know that when they're in the red zone, they are, it, it just feels like they're a better functioning team. They, they shorten the field. And I think they play a little bit more cushion in the middle of the field and kind of trying to stop the big plays. That's kind of been something that they have been burned by in the past this year. You look at the New Orleans game and even the Falcons game and, some of those big explosive offenses have hurt them. So I think going into Tampa, they've really made it a case to play a little bit farther off. Let's do our damage when we are in a more confined area of the field. And so that seems to be paying off. But really, the pass rush has been a big, big uh, help this year. And you look at their defensive line, Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Matt Ioannidis up to seven and a half sacks now. And I think that 
that pressure really helps the secondary a lot. It's forcing a lot of quarterbacks out of the pocket and making off-balance throws, and that's been a big key for the turnover rate this year. There he is, Jake Kringstreifels of Redskins.com. All right, coming up to our good buddy, Russell Baxter. You can follow him on Twitter at BaxFootballGuru, NFL Spin zone, fan-sided, he is one of the best in the game, and he will give us his thoughts on the Redskins, on the Texans, and the rest of the weekend in NFL football coming up next on Texans All-Access. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All-Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and silent reporter, and joined now by my good friend, at Max Football Guru on Twitter. You definitely want to give him a follow. You read him at NFL Spin Zone, fan-sided. He is Russell Baxter. Russell, how you doing, my man? I'm doing good. Uh, are you nice and well-rested? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's the, the words I would use, but I think we're ready to go for the Redskins. Russell, what have you seen with the Redskins thus far this year? 6-3 and three team, not scoring a ton of points, but defensively can do a, a pretty solid job. But then last week they gave up 500 yards in three points. There, there's got to be some sort of record with that, but... Either way, they've got Adrian Peterson running pretty well. They've got Alex Smith uh, in his first year with Jay Gruden. What do you see in the Washington Redskins, a team that leads the NFC East by two games? Well, you know, in a season where we're, you know, on the way to, you know, probably setting records for 100-yard receiving games and 300-yard passing games by individuals, and um, who knows if the single-season scoring record is even in doubt uh, by any of the Saints or the Chiefs or the, or the Rams, who knows what we've uh, what we're going to see down the stretch here and so on. Um, I like to use a basketball analogy when it comes to the Washington Redskins. They are Dean Smith's four corner offense. Oh wow, yeah, I get that one. Okay, yeah, they are the slowdown team. They are doing things. It's funny when Kirk Cousins was there. One of the teams, where I should say, two of the biggest shortcomings of the Washington Redskins was a consistent ground attack, and their defense was substandard. They're playing better defense. Now, I know they got rolled by Atlanta, and they gave up those 500 and, I think, what, 507 last week? Yeah. To the Bucs. I yep. mean, there's, you know, bend but not break. I mean, that was, you know, that was Mr. Fantastic of the Fantastic Four. <laughs> it was, yeah. Bending and not breaking. Um, but the bottom line is they're finding ways to win games. This was a 7-9 to nine team a year ago, and um, it's, it's a different style for the Redskins under Jay Gruden um, and this attack this year and so on. So, um, you know, and in a, what's obviously a very mediocre year for the entire division. Um, and, and, and listen, the Redskins don't exactly inspire fear. You know, when they have lost this year, they've lost bad. They lost right. to the Colts by 12. They lost to uh, New Orleans 43 to 19 on Monday night. And then the, the Falcons game a couple of weeks ago. So, if they aren't able to dictate the tempo of the game, John, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. It's been very hit or miss for them. So, But it provides a very interesting challenge, obviously, for the Texans. Um, you know, the last time we saw them, they played a little bit of a slowdown game themselves, uh, but managed to get a break or two and, and hold on and win at Denver. Yep, and that, you're exactly right, playing a game in 1917 that it was tough. I mean, it, against that defense, that defense kind of got – got going in the second half, and things were really tough for the Texans in the second half. But, Russell, the last time the Texans played, when they finished that game, they were 6-3. and three. At that point, the Tennessee Titans were 3-4. and four. They were going to play the next night against Dallas, and Dallas had been undefeated at home, and then they were going to play the Patriots. So, 
looking forward and looking ahead, I thought, man, there's a chance the Texans could be six and three with the Titans at three and six, the Colts at four and five, and the Jags at three and six by the time the Texans take the field again. But that didn't happen because Tennessee beats Dallas, and then Tennessee manhandles New England. I don't know that I want to believe that the Titans are that good. Well, boy, they've played like it the last couple of weeks. What have you seen in Tennessee, Russell? Well, uh, you know, it, it was almost like they hit rock bottom there for a few weeks. Um, they showed a little life against uh, the Chargers in London. And uh, who knows what, what would have happened if Mike Rabel would have decided to send the game in overtime. I'm sure that one is going to be even more second-guessed right now than it was at the time. But, again, they hit rock bottom probably with that 21 nothing loss at home uh, to the Ravens when they gave up those 11 sacks. Yep. Um, and, and they, again, they got better against the Chargers, uh, put it together. And listen, they were sloppy in the first half against Dallas. And, and then all of a sudden uh, made some plays, both on offense and defense. And then last week, um, you know, it's funny. There's a lot always said, I'll shift just for one second. There's a lot always said about Bill Belichick disciples not faring very well as head coaches. Well, twice this year, we've seen people familiar with Bill Belichick. I don't know how their head coaching careers are going to wind up, but they certainly enjoyed either a great Sunday night in Detroit or a wonderful afternoon in Nashville last Sunday. Yeah, that's true. And obviously with us having a former Patriots coach and Bill O'Brien, yeah. we're, we're hoping that the win over Bill Belichick comes at a very important time in 2018, as in, in the playoffs. But there's a lot of football, a lot of football to go before we get there. But, Russell, there will not be football down in Mexico City this weekend uh, as there was supposed to be a massive Monday night football game between the one-loss Rams and the one-loss Chiefs, but a field surface deemed unplayable will put the game back in Los Angeles where the Rams will take on the Chiefs. So, Russell, two-pronged question here. Number one, what are your thoughts about what happened there in Mexico City where they're not going to play the game and what that maybe means going forward for games in London and Mexico City. And what do you think about the game itself, Rams versus Chiefs, two one-loss teams leading both divisions? Well, listen, the NFL, which I think sometimes almost gets kind of a bad rap about player safety because a lot of people like to throw up, well, if they're that interested in player safety, they wouldn't play Thursday night football games. Well, sure. when it comes to field and field conditions, they take the, the, the safety of not only the players but the um, fans as well. Let's let's just go back to the beginning of the year. Um, I seem to remember a weather delay for the opening week game of Atlanta and Philadelphia. Yep, um, that's right. I have to tell you, a seven-hour football game between Miami and Tennessee yep. because of weather conditions. Um, Monday night, they were keeping a very, very close eye on uh, the air quality because of the you know unfortunate circumstances with the fires in California with that game with Sampson. We've seen them move games before because of wildfires as well. So sure. I think they were very proactive. Um, they had a backup plan. It's required, as you know, as the league explained in a release last week. And, um, you know, it, it, listen, this is the game of the year that people have been waiting for ever since both those teams got off to scintillating starts. And, um, you know, I, I also applaud the NFL and I applaud the Rams and the teams who are doing as much as they can possible to adjust to the circumstances and also reward the first responders. I, I know you've seen a lot of that um, by offering up free tickets and, and a lot of stuff. So this has become it, – I, I, it's not – you know what it is, John? It's not a Super Bowl preview necessarily. 
but the game is being treated like it was a Super Bowl. Yeah, you're right. I mean, two one-loss teams this late in the year. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I think you're exactly right, Russell. It's it. There's no doubt people look at it, and that's the one term I always I kind of I always snicker at is the Super Bowl preview. Like, oh, okay, all right, look, there's a there's a long way to go, but it is going to be a fascinating game of two high-powered offenses, mm-hmm. uh, as you noted. But here's the other thing that intrigues me, Russell. And we talked a little bit about this, but we'll get into this a little bit. I don't want to say this is a must-win for the Kansas for the Kansas City Chiefs, but it feels like it because at nine and one, they're sitting there atop the division, and you think, man, they're running away with this thing. The Rams are nine and one, and the next closest team in the West is four and five. That's Seattle, and they just beat right. Seattle the other day. Right. On the flip side, Kansas City is nine and one. The L.A. Chargers are 7-2, and two, and it looks like they may get Joey Bosa back here sooner than later. The Chargers could be a very scary team in, in the AFC West and just in the AFC. What do you think about what they've done, Russell? Well, I mean, you know that my preseason Super Bowl pick was the Atlanta Falcons over the Los Angeles Chargers. That's right, yep. I felt the I, I felt the AFC was kind of muddled coming into the year, and I just thought the momentum of what they did last season, going 9-3 and three after 0-4, I thought it might carry over, um, and it has. And they got off to a rough start, but that rough start included a loss to the Chiefs and the Rams, right. as, we're, as we're discussing. But listen, if, can't, if, the, if the Chargers are going to do something, they have to do something they haven't done in an awful long time. And I don't mean just make, make the playoffs, which is 2013. They, they, they reached the playoffs, reached the AFC Divisional playoffs, as a matter of fact. Um, and... They haven't beaten the Chiefs. It's nine in a row now. Ooh. Nine losses in a row to Kansas City, including week one this week. Kansas City has really kind of had their number. Down the stretch here, um, there's a there's another game I'm looking besides the Kansas City game with the Chargers. In a couple weeks, the Chargers go to Pittsburgh. Yeah. Which, of course, that will be interesting because it'll bring back the class of 2004 talk. You know, Phillip Rivers, Eli Manning. Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers are playing with a little momentum and a re, you know revived sense as well. So a lot of teams that got off to sluggish starts, which is kind of becoming the norm in this NFL, where the preseason is hard to figure and teams play less and less regulars during it. You know, you look at the teams that are playing their best football right now, and some of them got off to to very shaky starts. But the point you brought up about Joey Boza, um, you know, this is already a team that's you know, as much as there is Philip Philip Rivers and he's having a dynamite season and Keenan Allen and all that, uh, this is about the Melvins. It's Melvin Gordon and it's Melvin Ingram. Yeah, no doubt, and they've been playing extremely well. Mm-hmm. And you bring up Pittsburgh, Russell, and I, I don't know that anybody is, I don't know that anybody is wrong in their opinion on Le'Veon Bell. I, I really don't. I mean, I could, I, I guess maybe because I see it, I see it from both sides, but. What do you think about the way this all went down? And are you surprised that he is not going to play in 2018? I'm not surprised, but it took me a while to get there. I felt once it went to a certain point, um, and once the, I felt once the trade deadline came and went, that he was not going to play. Um, you know, I, I, I had a really tough time with people, you know, kind of figuring out, okay, he's now well-rested. He's going to sign and he's going to help them down the stretch. Um, he's taken a stand here, and it's certainly his prerogative. But I will say this. I think the two things that bothered me about the situation were this. Um, it seemed like there was constant lack of communication with his teammates. 
Okay, you're st- you're hearing stories now. The latest is Ben Roethlisberger sent him a text. Not re- listen, he is prerogative to do anything he wants. He's a grown man. But I think where the tension, and I think that affected the Steelers early in the season, John. I think the tension was a miscommunication that people, you know, some of his teammates thought Le'Veon Bell was coming back for week one. And I think it kind of started there because you'll remember what happened last year. No preseason, no training camp. He showed up and he played. I think maybe some of his teammates, and maybe that's what he told his teammates. I don't know. Um, But here's the other thing I will say about this whole situation. Um, I know there's going to be teams that will shy away from him because of this stance. And I don't mean the stance that he was trying to get more money. The stance that he was willing to sit out and do this to an employer because, as you know, if you do it to one employer, who says you won't do it to another? Russell, Sunday night, Minnesota goes to Chicago. And Chicago at 6-3, and three, sitting atop the NFC North. Minnesota right at its heels. This game intrigues me for just uh, for a number of different reasons. You got Trubisky against Cousins. You've got Khalil Mack going against Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter. I know it's a Sunday night game, and that's typically the one that we point to as being the marquee game. But it feels like this one really kind of has that feel. Going to be in Chicago in mid-November. What do you see in this game with Minnesota and Chicago? And how do you think that NFC North starts to play out? Green Bay's got to go to Seattle on Thursday night. That's going to be tough. Maybe it comes down to Minnesota and Chicago. How do you see the NFC North, and what do you think about this game Sunday night? Well, it's the first of the two meetings. These teams haven't met uh, this year yet. Um, the, the Bears, who finally won a divisional game last week, they lost 10 in a row going back a couple of years within the NFC North, which is a big reason they finished last in the NFC North four years in a row. Um, and it is a mark. Remember, this game was not scheduled for Sunday night. This game was flexed into Sunday night. It was yep. supposed to be Pittsburgh and Jacksonville. So you see the Bears, who kind of had that little gulp in the middle of the season with against Miami and New England. They've regained themselves, suddenly won three games in a row. Um, their defense is playing better than the Minnesota Vikings defense, which everybody, or I shouldn't say everybody, never say everybody. Most people felt was going to be the best defense coming into the league as they were um, a, a season ago. And they've fallen off today. They've played better as of late, but they certainly don't look like this, you know, beat all um, unit. Um, and maybe there, that was a little bit of a hangover effect from the NFC championship game last year. Um, for all of Case Keenum's shortcomings, the Vikings defense got riddled by Nick Foles and that in that Philadelphia offense. So maybe there's a little bit of a hangover effect. Um, I still think Green Bay has a say in the matter because of what their schedule is. And when I say schedule, I don't mean strength of schedule. I mean opportunity. Okay, they have a road game with Minnesota coming up. Um, they get a home game with Detroit. They still have to go to Chicago. Okay, so um, when you have the teams in front of you, you can still play that can affect your destiny, for lack of a better word. You're never really quite out of it. Um, So it'll be interesting to see who emerges here. Um, Chicago, again, they finally won a divisional game last week. They look pretty good in doing it as well. They took care of business at home against the Lions, who probably are the most hard-to-figure-out team in the entire (laughs) NFC, as far as I'm concerned. So. Um, nice show, Deb. I still think this is going to come down to the final weeks of the season. Um, and, you know, Detroit looks like they're headed in the opposite direction once again. But I still think this is a three-team race. But I will say this, because you mentioned the Packers. 
Green Bay better figure out a way to win a road game. They haven't done it all year. They've got two in a row coming up. They better get at least one of those, or, or they really do stand the possibility of falling out of the race. And one of those coming up on Thursday night, going out to Seattle on a Thursday night. Oh, boy. Good luck. Short week and got to go to Seattle. It's going to be a tough mm-hmm. one for Green Bay. At Bax Football Guru on Twitter, he is Russell Baxter from NFL Spin Zone and Fan Sided. He's the absolute best. And he joins me every Wednesday. Russell, you're the best, man. Thank you very much. You got it, John. We've got one hour down and one hour to go right here on Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, and it is time to go behind the mics with the two men that will call the action on Sunday. You know Mark Vandermeer, of course, the voice of the Texans. He sat down with the voice of the Redskins, Larry Michael. Larry, how are you doing at 6-3 and three here? This team... You look at the lack of turnovers, that's great. The takeaways, great. But I just get the vibe that it feels shaky to the local fans and media and the pundits and people like that. What do you think? You know what, Mark? I, I don't necessarily agree. I think that with with this team, um, you have to, you really have a tale of two sides of the football. I think if you look at the Redskins' defense and what they've tried to do over the last couple of years to bolster that defense against the run, spending first-round picks, each of the last two years on defensive linemen. Uh, I think that they've done a good job in, in doing what they had to do for the defense. Now, the offense on the other side of the ledger uh, is still a work in progress. We always hear at the beginning of the year, you know, this team's fi- trying to find its personality. What type of team is this going to be? And this has evolved into a team that plays good defense, wants to run the ball, uh, wants to control time of possession, and is error-free. So as far as the fans here are concerned, I think they love the fact they're on top of the division. They're 6-3, and three, but it's not what you expected out of this team this year, I think, especially out of the passing game. Uh, last game, I thought they did better in the second half of the game, um, most recently against Tampa, but Tampa's defense is not the Texans' defense. So, uh, to me, the Redskins are going to have to find a way to get some points on the board this Sunday uh, if they want their seventh win of the year. Larry Michael, voice of the Washington Redskins with us. Alex Smith, the Texans have seen him since 2005 when he was with the 49ers. What kind of Alex Smith are we seeing in 2018? Well, you know, I think we're seeing what we expected, even though the expectations might have been overblown because of the numbers that this offense has produced over the last couple of years. Uh, But the team, you know, has been lacking a deep threat since Jamison Crowder has been hurt. Paul Richardson's out for the year. And so it's evolved into a unit that, you know, is a rather conservative unit, and that really plays to Alex Smith's strengths. He's not a gambler. He's not a gunslinger. Uh, But uh, you have to have a well-rounded offense if you're really going to go far. So this is where the growth of the football team uh, still needs to take place, uh, the passing game. And, you know, Josh Doxson, a TCU kid who's a former first-round pick, is beginning to come on a little bit right now. Uh, of course, Jordan Reed is always double-teamed. He's a key player on the Redskins' offense. And missing Chris Thompson as well has really hurt this team. Capri Bibbs has come in and played very well. Every time he touches the ball, something good happens. But if you're going to look at this team, you're going to say, where does this team have the most room for improvement? You'd have to say the passing game. And thank goodness they, they picked up Adrian Peterson earlier this year because uh, he really has been the MVP on the offense. It has not been Alex Smith. Now, Alex, you know, has been – uh, error-free, and that's that's obviously what his reputation is. But he he didn't have the same. He doesn't have the same weapons he had that, that when he was in Kansas City. So it's it's an it's an evolution, I think, from the coach's standpoint. Coach Gruden, I think he loves the fact that he can run the football because that's something he always prides himself on. But he's he's a bit of a gunslinger himself. So you know that that combination, that chemistry built between head coach 
and starting quarterback continues to evolve. I think they're on the same page, but uh, they just have, it's a week-to-week thing. The last couple of weeks, the offensive line has been decimated with injuries. Uh, they've lost a couple starters for the year. And so with that, then maybe you have to simplify things a little bit. Larry, I'm looking at this defense and the pressure you get from Ioannidis and Kerrigan and I know Swearinger well from the defensive backfield. What about the takeaways? How are they getting them? Well, you know what? It's a variety of of things. Last week, uh, Josh Norman had an incredible interception, laid out, made a great interception. This was on the Bucks' opening drive. They drive it to the 10-yard line, and they go end zone, and he dives and makes a great interception, brings it out to 30 yards, and the Redskins are in business. Later in the game, it was Ryan Anderson in the red zone, a linebacker out of Alabama from behind, punching the ball out of the running back's hands. It goes into the end zone. Redskins cover it. So, I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily a, a, a luck situation. I think it's a it's an effort situation to get these interceptions, to get these turnovers. I, Mark, I can't tell you. I, I, I did look it up. And so uh, earlier I wondered, when was the last time the Redskins were plus 11? And the last time they were that good is in 2012. So, you look at this defense, and it's not only stopping the run, it's causing turnovers, but what you what you don't want to have to say is that the defense has to score, too. That's that's like you know, Doc Walker, who you know, our sideline guy, said, well, the defense got to score in this one. That's not that's not the way it's built. You, you want your offense to score, and you want your defense, obviously, if they score, that's gravy, but you want them to stop people. And that therein lies what the, the last seven weeks of this season are going to be about, to be honest with you. And this is a big game, obviously, for both teams, but – you know, for the Redskins being home against a team that is on a roll uh, with an outstanding quarterback who can who is a multi-threat, uh, it's a big challenge, a big challenge. The Redskins seem to play their best against the better teams this year. They've stepped up a couple couple of big eggs they've laid uh, against New Orleans and against Atlanta. But how can you predict? Atlanta, you know, came in here and ran the Redskins, and they go out and they fall the following week at Cleveland. So... You can't predict this league, but but I know the Houston Texans are on a roll right now, and they're coming here for a win, and that's a two six and three teams. I think real strong matchup to show where these two teams are this many games into the season. Larry Michael, voice of the Redskins, with us. Jay Gruden, what's it like to be around him on a regular basis? I like guys who have paid their dues, and he certainly did. Quarterbacked at a bunch of different levels, and was a coach in arena ball. I like his story. What's it like to be around Jay? Well, he's a super guy. I mean, he's just got a great sense of humor. It's it's hard to see him. You really never see him angry. You never see him sweat. He's always on an even keel, and he likes to put the rib in there. And you know what? I think he's what you'd call a player's coach. And uh, over the years, you know, some players might take advantage of a player's coach. But I think because of the uh, combination they have here of high draft picks and some of the veterans they have here, you know, they they can be loose, but they know when it comes time to play, it's it's a different story. So. Love being around this guy, and I'm so happy for him to have his success this year because at the beginning of the year, you know, if this hadn't gone this direction, then he would have been, you know, inching towards that dreaded hot seat. But right now, things are cool, and he's on top of the division. Got a home game against a tough team. I think it's going it, to – it shapes up as a very, very dramatic game on Sunday. And Looking forward to seeing you, my friend. It's going to be fun. Larry, a, a question about the fans and the relationship between the team and the town and – and the Redskins nation, if you will. When you look at this, I mean, we're talking about a franchise that has won Super Bowls, and certainly you have had some success since then and playoff appearances and things like that. How is that being in the environment where you had the Joe Gibbs in the background there those years and that level of success and the way that people deal with it now or the lack thereof? Well, the expectations here are for a Super Bowl every year, and I know that is the same for all NFL teams, but – 
for this team, which you know was founded in 1932, uh, and Sunday could be a milestone game. I mean, to win that game, it would be their 600th regular season win, which would be the only the fifth team in NFL history to do that. And because of the legacy and the longevity of the franchise, I mean, you know, it's just the numbers are there since 1932. They've won games and they've won championships, and I think that's what the fans want. Uh, I have noticed, you know, over the last couple of years, fans travel a lot more to certain locations. I know it. I mean, so when we go to Arizona, when we go to California, we go to Florida, there are a lot of Redskins fans there. It's a good trip for people to take. Nothing against any cold-weather cities that might be uh, not exactly vacation spots in December, but fans travel now. And the same thing holds true here. Redskins get opposing teams' fans in the stadium. Uh, but the fan base here is enormous. There's a lot of Redskins fans in town, and they just want to win. All they want to do is see their team win. And you know what? I think that's the same thing the team wants. So, you know, with the, the most recent discussions here about it, I mean, I think it really overshadows the fact the team is 6-3, and three, had a great, great group of fans. Literally in Tampa last week, uh, by the end of the game, it was you know maybe about now fifteen thousand Redskins fans in that stadium. They but you could hear them singing "Hail to the Redskins" on the road, which was striking. Alex Smith told me before he got here, he didn't realize that there were Redskins fans all over the country. In fact, and that you know, the stats bear that out. And a lot of transplanted people from D.C. And every four years, you know, this city flips because of the political changes. And when people are here, they kind of adopt the Redskins. There is a portion of the populations that is transient. And so they kind of spread that word as they leave. And the folks that grew up here during the Super Bowl years, obviously uh, they have grown up and they've raised their kids as Redskins fans. So I think, you know, in the, in the, area of, in the era of social media, you know, everything happens instantaneously and then you react to things instantaneously. And I think this crowd on Sunday, I would be shocked if the crowd wasn't electric and it wasn't uh, real excited. It's a big game, tough opponent. And uh, you always want your fans on your side, so I'll be shocked if that didn't happen. One more for you, Larry. Who is the most popular pre-1995 Redskin? Who resonates more with the fan base? I mean, you do games with Sonny Jurgensen. I mean, he's tremendous. Obviously, there are a bunch of other guys to choose from. What's your opinion on that? Well, Sonny is one. Doug Williams is one because of what he represented. Mm -hmm. John Riggins is one because of his kind of his, his unique personality. And then you come, you know, a little bit more more modern day guys. You know, you're talking about guys like Cooley and Porters who are really loved by the fans. Uh, but those, you know, this is alumni homecoming weekend. You got all these guys. Billy Kilmer's coming here. Uh, Mark Rippin is going to be here. You got all kinds of names from the past that are going to come in, and that's the fact with this franchise. It was founded in 1932, moved here in 1937. They won two NFL championships and three Super Bowls. So. This is a legacy that just runs deep, and it's been a while since this team won a Super Bowl. So that that drought, I think, is uh, is accentuated when the team doesn't play well. Obviously, now you know, six and three, you know, you're in the hunt. You're in the hunt. So, uh, but to be able to work with Sonny Jurgensen has just been a thrill for me. I mean, growing up watching him play, and then having him in the broadcast booth, and he's got that cigar. He's chomping on that cigar. He's just a, a living legend and icon. And, so many in the franchise. It's very you know, Bobby Mitchell, Charlie Taylor, Larry Brown, Billy Kilmer, uh, Art Monk, Daryl Green, a couple of the newer newer generation players, and the Hogs obviously are legendary in this town. So it's a football town, man, and I think it's going to be a good football game. Looking forward to seeing you guys. All right, Larry, we really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. We'll see you on Sunday. All right, Mark. Talk to you. There he is, Larry Michael, voice of the Washington 
Redskins, of course, with our voice, Mark Vandermeer. All right, we get back. Mark's going to stick around. i got a trivia question. I'll let you think about this during the break, people. See if you can pinpoint the last time the Texans, as a first-place division-leading team this late in the year, taking on a first-place division-leading team in the season, in the regular season. When was the last time? I found one, and then the second one I had to go all the way back to 2012. See if you can come up with the last time that it's happened. And here's your hint. It was on Monday Night Football. See if you can figure that out. We get back right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, your host, sitting right next to my good friend, the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, how are you? Johnny, I'm doing so well. I mean, I love game week. It's back. You know, oh. It was weird having the bye. It was like, it's almost like you have so to force weird. yourself to break stride, and then it's not difficult to get revved up again. But now that we're here, it's game week Wednesday. I mean, I get really fired up this, this day, this day, because it really feels like once the players get back, this is where the clock starts to truly tick down to countdown. After the bye. All right, so i got a trivia question for you to start mm-hmm. with. See if you can answer this. On Sunday, yeah. the Redskins 6-3, and three, leading the NFC East. Texans are 6-3, and three, leading the AFC South. Yeah. When was the last time the Texans were in first place mm. and played another, after the bye, after played the bye. a division opponent that was also in first place? Do you remember? Ooh, was it, um, let's see, in 2015, they had not overtaken first yet. Right. They played because the Patriots, because Indy was still in first at that point, they were they, they were tied. Them. They were tied, and Indy had the tiebreaker because they had beaten the Texans earlier that year. You remember the Hasselbeck and a diaper? Yeah, day. Hasselbeck and a diaper, and then the Texans got their first ever win over Indy. I mean, that was that was very touch and go. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so it wasn't Beating, fifteen. Yeah, the, so that doesn't count. Being tied for first. When was the last time this late in the season? All right, so after the bye, wasn't uh, 2012 with the Bears and Texans in that Sunday nighter because the bye had not occurred yet, I believe. The bye was after that, the I believe. The bye was after the that, The bye was say. in 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just looking at it. 2012, the bye. Oh, the bye was before that. The Bears came after that. Okay. The, but the, has there been a time since? Well, the Patriots, obviously, that night in 2012. Yep. And the only other one that comes close, and this is, I, I, I'm checking, I, I think this is right. But the weekend in 2016, ironically, that we played in Mexico, which is not happening. The this Raiders weekend. and the Texans? The Raiders and the Texans. The Raiders were 7-2 and the Chiefs were 7-2 on Sunday. Then the Chiefs lost that Sunday. So the Raiders had it all to themselves so for the a The Raiders moment. had it all to themselves and the Texans had it all to themselves. They were 6-3 and three after the bye. Now the Titans ended up making it tight, getting nine and seven that year. But at the at the nine game mark, they were four and five. So the Texans were in first place, and it was the Raiders. But the only other time was 20, the the most the nearest time to that was twenty twelve against the Patriots. It's a long time since they've played division a first place division. Oh yeah, that was later. Year. That was later. Of course, the Patriots. That was I want to say it was December tenth, two thousand twelve. I remember it like it was some sort of. You're national right. event of horror. You're, you're exactly right. Oh my gosh! You're exactly right. I'm exactly December. right. Yeah. Wow. Does, do you know? Remember the score? Ah, uh, it was bad. It was a lot to not enough. I want to say 
Did they? Was it the old thirteen point output in Foxborough? Maybe they had a late touchdown. Forty two fourteen. Forty two fourteen. Fourteen. Oh, oh a man. lot to a little. I mean, it's funny because how many times have they scored thirteen points up there? I want to say in the playoff oh. game it was thirteen. <laughs> uh, the second playoff game. Uh, Yikes. Yeah. Oh man, so many different bad memories, but a lot of good ones too. And let me ask you this: I, I know you didn't want to go down this path. But you brought up that Raiders-Texans-Mexico City game. Of course, we know what happened with this year's Mexico City game. It's being moved to L.A. But how about the way things change in this league? How good did you feel about the Raiders and their future that night? I remember getting on the bus that night, frustrated that the Raiders had beat us. And I remember thinking, I hope we get a shot at them in the playoffs, but, man, it's still going to be tough. That was my exact reaction was like, I think we can beat them but, man, they're really good. If Derek Carr plays in the playoff game, it's obviously going to be a much tougher story for the Houston Texans and Brock Osweiler in a home playoff tilt. It's Khalil Mack and Bruce Irvin. It's Amari Cooper mm-hmm. and Derek Carr. I mean, the future to me was right. It was bright it for was them. It was right there. After that night in Mexico City, it looked super bright. And now look at them two years later. Eight, look at them. They were 8-2 after that ball game. If you think about it, that that's a pretty interesting team to look at. Because they after that they were eight and two after that game, and and they Derek Carr could not have looked any better. I mean, he looked he was phenomenal, smoking hot. I mean, they needed points. Okay, in two throws, I got you a touchdown. Yep. I mean, one of those answering drives for the Raiders after a Texans field goal drive. I want to say it was two plays, maybe three. Boy, it's pretty phenomenal to think about this. Mm-hmm. So they beat the Panthers the next week. They beat Buffalo the week after that. So they were they were eight and two after our game nine and two ten they were ten and two. Then they went two after Carr goes out, they go two and two to finish the year, mm-hmm. and they lose the division. In twenty seventeen, one two three four five six they were six and ten, and this year they're one. What were they yeah. one and eight? Yeah, and look at Derek Carr. I mean, he could not have looked better. I, that season until he went out, it was like oh franchise quarterback phenomenal. And I still think he's got a lot to him. Oh, I do too. But this is the latest example of NFL football is difficult. This just (laughs) in. It is very difficult. You know, because you look at the teams that have enormous success over years, like the Patriots and, look, the Packers, because Aaron Rodgers makes them so great, because I don't think they're that great a team year in, year out, but they're a playoff team year in, year out, by and large, because of Aaron Rodgers. But it's so tough. And look at the Raiders' meltdown. And maybe John Gruden gets it done. I don't know. They have a lot of draft choices to work with. From that trip to Mexico City. Yeah. From that trip. Mm-hmm. After that game. That was that feels like eons ago. Yeah. They've won 11 total games. That's it. 11. That's two years. 11 total games. Two years, 11 wins. I mean, and you think about where the, where the Rams were in 2016. Well, a 4-12 team. In the midst of Jared Goff just going over the deep end. Just yep. like, oh, Goff is the worst number one pick ever. Everybody's writing them off. And all of a sudden, you got the Raiders going in a tank. You got the Rams as one of the best teams in the league. And not only that for the Raiders, they got to watch the Chiefs do all this too, which is, you know, what the Chiefs are doing with Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. Hey, give the Chiefs a ton of credit. I know they don't win enough playoff games. And, and this just in, that is true. Did I this just in us twice? I guess I did. It's okay. But it's true. They don't win enough playoff games, but they get there a lot, man. They get there a lot. And and you brought it up. I mean, with the Raiders having the kind of year they had two years ago, and they lose the division by a 2-2 two and two finish because the Chiefs are so good that year yep. with Alex mm-hmm. Smith, and we're going to see him again this weekend. That's the other thing about this weekend. It kind of 
you know, it, the alarm went off for me. We saw Alex Smith in 2005 in the Reggie Bush Bowl. You know, he played in that wow. game for San Francisco on New Year's Day. And I just, I was thinking about that, that the Texans have a long history with Alex Smith. And Alex Smith won that game. And then I was thinking about the 2009 game. And I brought this up last night where the Texans were leading the 49ers at the half. But Alex Smith threw three touchdown passes in the second half to Vernon Davis. Okay. Who we're going to see this weekend. Yes. He plays for Washington. He's still in the league. (laughs) And you can't win with him, right? That was the guy that Mike Singletary was talking about. Yeah, exactly. Can't win with him. Which got me thinking, as you just said that, Mm -hmm. how many Texans games have names? Hasselbeck in a diaper. Hasselbeck in a diaper is one. That's Reggie Bush Bowl. Bush Bowl. I just brought up a couple of them in this segment. Yeah, we got we got others. We got others. I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know if everyone like I could say a name. It, this is a good off season game. Like Rosencopter game. Rosencopter. Rosencopter. You know, you, once you B-Y. say it, once you say it, you know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Oh, the wide interception. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the playoff game. Yep. I mean, yep. you can just say one. Chad Henney. One item. Oh. <laughs> Somewhere Andre's about, skin is crawling right now. <laughs> does all right. So does the, I was going to say bearded shop because remember <laughs> Jacksonville 2013. I do. It, was, it was not a funny game. It was uh, a primetime game on a Thursday night. But Shab came in for Keenum. That was Kubiak's last game here. Yeah. And everyone was hashtag bearded Shab because Shab had the beard and he was actually playing well for a stretch yeah. in that game. It was like bearded Shab is oh, much I, better than unbearded Shab. I remember tweeting that night about bearded Shab. <laughs> like he's never going to shave again. And then at the end, it kind of disintegrated and melted down. And melted down. But oh, I, that is a good offseason topic. Uh, the the games with names. A lot mm-hmm. of them, unfortunately. Yeah, they have negative, you know. Yeah, negative connotation. A, a lot of them we just named were losses. Yeah, so. but some of them got it. What mm-hmm. if I said the pinball? What if I said pinball? What pinball you think is, uh, is uh, what helped me out here. Andre but, Johnson. Pinballing off the St. Louis, oh, St. Louis. The Arizona Cardinals. Arizona. I just see this pinball machine, like bang, mm-hmm. bang, bang. And he's, that was, mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite Texas players. Sonny Liston. We're going back to the site of Sonny Liston, the Andre Johnson, fo- Sonny Liston photo. And I know you're not happy about where you call the game from, but <laughs> I, I, say the I, know you, I know you don't. I know you don't like it. But over under on booth complaints this week <laughs> in the broadcast from me. <laughs> There's gonna there'll Setting be one the number at three and a half. There will be one during the game. Johnny, what yard line are we on? Uh, 33, 30, 32, 32. Yeah. No, that's the 27. And for those that don't know, the booth being low in the corner, when they're on the other side of the field and you get inside the 20, it's like they if you see a tackle, it could be at the 17, it could be at the 8. It, so, it's very difficult to tell. You're so low and in the corner. So if, so if you hear Mark, and it tackles by, that's usually my signal. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to start giving you. I'm well, sometimes you, like, I'm waiting for them names. to unpile, though. I, I you know, don't give me a chance, and I feel bad. I feel like Johnny. I knew that. <laughs> I did know it was going to be him. I just well, was sometimes waiting I, for them so, to unpile. When That's we, all. When we went to Denver, most. I mean, obviously, I can see things pretty well. One time, JJ was on the other side of the play. I don't know why, but they got up, and I told you Watt made the tackle, and JJ was standing like five people. And I'm like, why did I see that? I told, I don't know why I said mm-hmm. Watt. You ended up saying Watt and gave him credit. I don't know, maybe because I missed one earlier, but I was like, why in the heck did I say what? And then I was like, oh, whoever made it had the same shoes on that JJ did. And so that's what I was. You're going by shoes? Was you can't well, go sometimes by shoes. you have to. I mean, look, no. at, look at Alfred and Lamar. 
They're so hard to tell sometimes. From, from above from a distance, a si- it's not when their that shoulders easy. are square with me, not square, but but when I'm looking sideways down across their their shoulders, mm-hmm. uh, it's difficult. You know, it's, so it's I difficult look at their to socks. see twenty six to twenty eight. I look at know? shoes. I look at socks. That's kind of how sometimes you got to do it. So I was looking at shoes. And I, I got That's that one good. wrong. But being you know taking on a franchise like Washington, I, I know this sounds weird, but there there are certain teams I know when we play them. I I love it because it's a historical, yep. legendary mm-hmm. franchise, and you're going to their place. And I know a lot of the Redskins history was at RFK, but there's something it about just <laughs> – Yeah, true. <laughs> but it's just something about playing the Redskins. Oh, yeah. One of the no original doubt. franchises, the Bears, the Packers, the Redskins. Playing one of those original franchises, I, I love it. Do, do you kind of find that when you go there? I mean, I know it's a different building and all, but do you kind of get that same feeling when yes. you're taking on a team like that? No, because, all right, here's what happens. In the teams you don't play a lot that are long-time established teams, Yep. the one team, not the one, but one of the teams in the AFC I get that feeling about, and you wouldn't think it, is Buffalo. For yeah. some reason when I see that Bills helmet, I'm like, ooh, Buffalo. Yeah. But in the NFC, since you see them only once every four years, and especially when you go into their building, when you see that Redskins insignia yeah. on the helmet i mean that's just that it reminds you of joe theisman yeah. and you know all those guys and i know the old timers will go beyond that like right. sonny jurgensen whatever but to me it's it's the hogs it's john riggins yep. it's art monk it's gary clark it's all those dudes it's the redskins raiders super bowl it's the redskins dolphins super bowl fourth and one riggins to the end zone it's all that stuff and it feels great to see a franchise like that uh it's funny because, well, they moved from what city? Can you name the city that the Redskins started in? Uh, they were in Boston. Uh, Boston, yeah. Yeah, the Boston Redskins. It was you know way before our time. But... Boston Redskins. And then the Patriots didn't get there until 60 as an AFL team. And right. that's the thing, being an AFC, we see a lot of the AFL teams. All the time. So we and see I, them. I see the Patriot logo. It makes me want to vomit. But if I see some of the other classic, I'll tell you another team. I like the, the Jets. I kind of like seeing the Jets because – it's funny, you know, the Texans still feel so new to me and I think to a lot of the city. You yep. know, it's 17 years in, but it still feels new. And it's a beautiful thing to be in this league with these traditional powers, yeah. if you will. And the Redskins aren't a power anymore, but they flash from time to time. They were so good with Joe Gibbs. I mean, Joe Gibbs, give him a ton of credit because how many coaches can you say, you know, he won Super Bowls, Doug Williams, Mark Rippin. Obviously, Theisman, yeah. Theisman. I mean, you know, he got it done with different guys, and you have to give him a ton of credit for that. It's funny watching now that the NFL films puts together a lot of the uh, a football life. They do a lot of them, and they're doing it on players that and coaches that went through the '80s and '90s. And so you're seeing a lot of the the connection to Bill Walsh and some to Joe Gibbs, and it was really and Bill Parcells, and it was really interesting to see how those those coaches, especially those three, Parcells. Walsh and Gibbs all did things really, really differently. Mm-hmm. And in particular with Walsh, there seemed to be this, oh, he thinks he's smarter than everybody else. So Gibbs and Parcells loved to take on the yep. 49ers to show that their brand of football, which was hit you in the mouth, play some defense, mm-hmm. be physical, kind of traditional smash mouth football, if you will, they loved taking on Walsh. They love taking on the 49ers to show that their brand of football worked. But the thing about those three coaches in the 80s, always meeting in the playoffs, it's just it's fascinating. And it got me thinking, Drew Doherty always does this, and he'll do this on In the Lab. 
he brings the turnover margin differential. He's like, well, the Texans won a turnover margin today, yeah, and then they won the game. Back in 1983, and you mentioned that Raiders-Redskins Super Bowl, 83 Redskins were 14-2. and two. They had a plus 43 turnover margin. Plus 43. No, they didn't get 43 turnovers. They were plus 43. Wow. They generated 61 turnovers in a 16-game season. That's sick. That's unbel- I mean, if a team did that now, I mean, the Texans had 30-something if- in 14, and now I thought that was a lot. And didn't Riggins have a ton of touchdowns that year? Too? Yeah, he was phenomenal that year. He was great. I mean, it was it was the things that we do now in the NFL. A lot of them came from Joe Gibbs and the Redskins. That's one super, back offense. That first suit. Oh yeah, and, that was and, all Joe Gibbs and also uh, Don Coriel because he yep. was a Coriel disciple of sorts. That, that's right. So you had a little bit of that going in there, uh, and and to run it with Riggins. I mean, Theismann wasn't Dan Fouts, but they've they had good receivers, you know. They were that red those the fact that he did it with different quarterback receiver combinations over the years. He doesn't, get, he doesn't get talked about enough he when doesn't. you talk about the greatest coaches. Three you know, rings Wal- with three different quarterbacks. As you say, Walsh overshadows him, and so does Parcells because he lasted so long and resurrected other teams but didn't win championships with them. Gibbs won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks, not one of them in the Hall of Fame. Walsh won his with Montana and then followed up with Steve Young the, the in 94. That was George Seifert. Theismann not in the Hall of Fame. Theismann not in the Hall of Fame. That's that's a strong little take. Right, not so, take. That's a strong little trivial fact right there. Not that he belongs well, when you and, think about it. When you look at the numbers, no. But he was such a prevalent, you know, force in this league for a while. We okay. I'll end with this one. Uh huh. Where did Joe Theismann start his NFL career? Oh gosh, I knew this. Oh, it's something like Atlanta. It's like a Brett Favre type thing. Ah. Uh. Now it's gosh. not where he, where he really truly started his career, but it's where. It's where he first got his very first shot. Where was it? The Miami Dolphins. Yeah, I would have been here for a while. <laughs> I would have been, but I remember as you bring it up. So I re- really didn't remember yeah. that he did not start with the Redskins. Yep he he was drafted by the Dolphins and was supposed to go there, but then cut that off mm-hmm. because I guess he didn't get the contract he wanted and right. went to the CFL. And then he goes to Washington. Went to the CFL, and then he went to Washington after that. Single bar. How about that? Mask. Another quarterback coming from the CFL. Mm-hmm. Warren Moon, Joe Theismann. It's a bunch of them. Mark, appreciate it. Thanks, Johnny. Coming up next, it's our broadcast partner, Andre Ware, right here in Texans All Access. We've got one final segment of Texans All Access from this Hyundai Texans Radio studio on this Wednesday evening. Glad you're with me. I am John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter, and it's time for the Choose Fun Moment of the week brought to you by Carnival. Now, we typically have a game on Sunday, so we didn't have a, a game, and I didn't really want to pull anything from the bye week, if you know what I mean. So I went back to the win over the Denver Broncos and found this. First down, Texans at the Houston 36. Watson to the gun, and Watson hits Demarius Thomas. Right side screen across the 40, 45, 50. DT, 45, 40 of Denver, and out of bounds inside the 35-yard line of the Broncos. His first career catch is a big one down to the Denver 33. Demarius Thomas' first catch as a Texan is our Choose Fun Moment of the Week. Is brought to you by Carnival. Don't forget to enter for your chance to win a cruise every week if the Texans catch a touchdown. The Texans have done that in every game this year. Carnival, the official cruise line of the Houston Texans, choose fun.
Now, fun for me is talking to our next guest. Now, I didn't get a chance to talk to him. Mark Vandermeer did. It's our broadcast partner, Andre Ware. A lot going on this time of year. It's always great to catch up with Dre. Mark did that earlier today. Dre, Deshaun Watson was asked a question about how much he's improved, and he talked about his ability to manage the game, and I thought that was an interesting choice of words there. No one would call him a game manager, but sometimes that managing the game thing gets a bad rap. It's so important for a quarterback to be able to do it, though, right? Oh, it is. I mean, every quarterback's a game manager. You, you, you've got to be uh, in tune with the play clock. You've got to be in tune with uh, who should be in motion, uh, You know everything that's going on. And while you're doing all that, reading the defense, uh, tendencies, who's creeping down, trying to blitz the snap count, uh, when to get a guy started in motion. You're managing a whole lot of stuff uh, during the course of one play. So uh, every quarterback that's ever played the game at some point, or we're all game managers. So it's it's uh, it's a good place to be when you have that. Now, there are guys that you feel like uh, you will insert that won't lose you games, but they won't win it either. And that's clearly not the case with Deshaun Watson. Those guys are usually... Uh, have earned the title game manager, and and it's kind of known uh, in in quarterback circles as a negative term. But uh, when you're a playmaker and you're a game manager, that that's a uh, that's a place where every quarterback strives to be. Alex Smith sometimes gets called that. What do you make of what you're seeing from him? This version of him. I don't know that I would classify him as just kind of a game manager or game manager type. I think he's a playmaker because he can make plays with his legs. Uh, when just when you let your guard down, that's when uh, when Alex Smith seems to uh, to get going. I tell you, he, what I believe is he's a streaky player, and if you allow him to get on a streak or to get going, uh, he can hurt you for a while. So uh, I don't know that I I would qualify him as a as a game manager, so to speak. I brought this up on the Bill O'Brien show. I think Alex Smith is an interesting player, Dre, because he was the number one overall pick. We saw him back in two thousand five in that Reggie Bush Bowl game in San Francisco. And he really has a tough time in his early years with the 49ers. But then he gets it going with Harbaugh, and he completely changed his career around. Great success with the Chiefs. I know he didn't get as far as he wanted to go, but playoff success. And then you get to the Redskins, and they're 6-3 and three in first place. What about the ability to improve and hang in there with a player while he develops that mode of things? Yeah, it's kind of one of those, uh, the old adage, if you get enough shots at it, you ought to get pretty good. Uh, he has gotten a lot of shots at it, and uh, and he's you know to his credit, every opportunity that uh, that he's been given. Once they got some, uh, they solidified things in the coaching staff in San Francisco because it was headed the other way. Uh, he obviously showed that uh, he was a viable player at quarterback. And then when he goes to to Kansas City, uh, you get Andy Reid coming in. It was it was a nice match for him a solid foundation in terms of the coaching staff that uh, knows exactly what they're doing, how to get it done. And he had a great deal of success there. And you get to Washington, they're building, so to speak. Uh, Gruden is, Jay Gruden has been there long enough to where things are in place. There's a foundation of both offense and defense, and he's able to step right into some structure and uh, and have the same type of success. So uh, it's been a while since since the Redskins have been uh, top the division, that division especially, this late in the season. And a big part of it is because of Alex Smith. 
I want to use the same kind of question or line of questioning for Marcus Mariota because a few weeks ago it was looking very bleak for him and the Titans, and a lot of people thought, oh, maybe his career is not going to turn out that well. And then a couple of wins later, things look very different. Not to say that he's ready for Canton or anything, but he's getting some reps and certainly showing some improvement as this season goes along. Yeah, I I think uh, you're only as good at the quarterback position. You could be phenomenal. Uh, as a player and have all the physical gifts and have it together between the ears, all of it. And if there aren't things around you that allow you to be successful, you're not going to be. And by that, skill players, guys that when you deliver the football, can they catch it? Can they run with it after the catch? How about the offensive line? Can they give you time to do your thing? And so, uh, so many players, and I mean good players, have been places where that's not that's not the norm, so to speak. And so you get kind of cast aside. With Marcus Mariota, it just so happened. They've got players there. They were all hurt. And so now he's getting a lot of that, uh, that help back in a healthy way. And now you're starting to really see what the uh, Tennessee Titans are capable of becoming. I, I liken it to Alex Smith as well. As, you know, early in the season with Washington, a lot of players were injured in and out of the lineup. And once they started to get players back, you're able to kind of get yourself on a roll. So it's true in both cases. Now, speaking of players getting healthier, Deshaun Watson is getting further away from the chest injury issues. Mm -hmm. And also, Kiki QT comes back for the Texans. So that's going to be nice for this offense. What are you expecting against the Redskins that way? Well, it, it really is. I mean, I don't know if I'm expecting what he did his first game as a professional, but somewhere in between that and maybe his last game, uh, before he went out again. So uh, when you uh, when you look at the type of player and what he can bring to an offense, uh, it's electric. And so having one more weapon on the field that knows the offense as you continue to bring Demarius Thomas around, because let me tell you, the, the, we had a bye week, but I can guarantee you he doesn't know the the entire playbook at this point front to back and like the back of his hand. He's still learning. And so uh, there's – uh, that when you when you can add a piece with a guy that has been here and is experienced in the offense, even though it's limited, uh, that that is a big thumbs up for the offense. Dre Washington takes the ball away. They don't turn it over on offense. They're six and three. They're not explosive on offense, but they do have Adrian Peterson. The defense gives up a lot of yards, but like we said, they take the ball away. They're not giving up a lot of points at all. What kind of game are you expecting on Sunday when you look at all the numbers and how the matchup might shake out? Well, there's some playmakers there. When You, you called one name, Adrian Peterson, and that, that in itself is, uh, is concerning because they, he runs behind a good offensive line. They, they've done a, a pretty good job the last couple of weeks of providing him some uh, – some uh, so, some room in which to run. And then they've got playmakers. I like Jamison Crowder. He's questionable for this week, but maybe expecting to play. Josh Doxson is a deep threat uh, on the outside. And then defensively, they've got <clears throat> just about all of the SEC starting up front. When you look at uh, Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, and uh, a couple of other guys there, uh, DJ Swearinger is an SEC guy. Preston Smith is an SEC guy. All those guys can play. And so they create problems on both sides of the ball. It's a home game for the Redskins, uh, and they're trying to stay atop the NFC East. This won't be easy uh, in any sense of the word. All right, now what about the Colts playing the Titans? What do you think of that matchup? Yeah, it's uh, both teams have kind of hit stride 
right now. That game's in Indy, correct? That's right. Yeah, and, and you know, I like it when it's that close. Both teams have gotten themselves healthy. Both quarterbacks are, are starting to play well. I would probably favor the home team. And as I mentioned a couple of times to you, uh, I, I'm – afraid of Indy more so than just about anybody else in the division. So uh, them being at home with Andrew Luck playing the way he is and, and uh, doing some things, that, that should give them the advantage to uh, to beat the Titans. Hey, every time the Patriots lose, it's time for the is it over for Tom Brady alarms to go off. What is your take on where they are at right now? They had no Gronk last week. Edelman gets banged up during the game. Didn't look himself during the game, but still – what are we thinking here? Because Brady is of the age that every bad game is going to bring up those questions. There's no doubt about that. I just don't know if they're accurate or not. Yeah, the first thing you said was the reason why they, they lose, and it's Gronk and not playing and not having him on, in, in a, uh, a big game on the road. He makes a ton of difference uh, to their offense. And then they just haven't been a good road team this year, which is why it's important for them or important for everybody else in the NFL to, to stay atop New England and not allow them to have a home field throughout the playoffs because that's where they win. They, they just It's something about the place that uh, they know how to win there. And so when you, look, when you start to look at it, not having Gronk, uh, Brady's just fine. Trust me. He, he is every bit as good. And I was watching uh, their last game and thinking, when is it gonna ha- when is when is he gonna hit the wall? Because it certainly doesn't look like it. The ball has tremendous velocity. He's able to move and slide like he always has, uh, and he's got some playmakers. With the exception of not having Gronk, a guy that can create problems in the middle of the field. So you, if you, but if you can get pass rush, then you can affect Tom Brady, and that's exactly what happened last week. Andre, where are you in college this week? I'm going to Florida. It's uh. It's that week in, uh, across the board in, in uh, college football where there aren't a lot of attractive games. So uh, I got drew the card of Florida versus Idaho down in Gainesville. And, uh, you know, if there's anything left of Idaho once that, that <laughs> minutes runs out, I would be surprised. So I'm uh, from, from Gainesville and then on to, to D.C. to meet you guys there. All right. Look forward to seeing you, my friend. Safe travels. We'll see you soon. All right, buddy. I'll, I'll see you there. There he is, Andre Ware, doing his best, <laughs> doing his best to hold in his thoughts about Florida and Idaho. Man, SEC games this weekend are just an abomination. Although I will say the one in College Station features a very good football team in UAB taking on Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher does not want to lose this game. The optics of it are not good. It's really a no-win situation for Jimbo. You beat UAB, you're supposed to, but lose to UAB, which is a very high probability. Not a high probability, but there's a chance of that happening. A team that's 9-1 and one and played very, very well this year. Kind of flying under the radar screen. A program that just got reinstituted uh, last year, two years ago. So, it's tough. I, f- I feel for Jimbo in this one. It's going to be rough. But, either way, uh, Dre will be in Gainesville to call that one Florida and Idaho. Appreciate you guys being here on the show. A big thanks to DP Sidhu to Russell Baxter, to Larry Michael, to Mark Vandermeer, to Andre Ware, and to all of you for listening. Thank you so much, and we will see you tomorrow. As always, go Texans.